Amen. Please go ahead and uh, have a seat. I hope you guys like having baptisms. Do you guys enjoy getting a glimpse into what Jesus is doing? It really is marvelous and wonderful. And, uh, you know, nobody gets more blessed than me. I get to talk to everybody who gets baptized here and get to talk through their testimony, get to hear their understanding of the gospel, repentance, and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, we got a lot of people professing faith here at this church, and as they see baptisms, more people want to get baptized, and so I hope you like them, because we're going to be doing them again next Sunday. There's more people who want to get baptized here at this church, so praise the Lord. And we can get a glimpse into Jesus through the testimonies of his people, but let's open the Bible. Let's go to John chapter 1, and let's see... Uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ here as he's revealed to us in this gospel that we've started throwing ourselves into. And we're just finishing up chapter 1 here today. So if you're just joining us, you're at a great time as we have been inviting many to come and see Jesus Christ. And that's the theme of our passage this morning. So if you've got one of our Bibles, turn to page 887. That's the page we're on. And we're looking at John chapter 1 verses 43 to 51 will be our text here this morning. So please follow along with me as I read, and then we will dive into God's Word. So let's read together. John chapter 1, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, You will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. A fascinating conversation that takes place here between Jesus and this man, Nathaniel. But before we can dive into the the layer kind of beneath what you can see on the surface there of Jesus talking to Nathaniel, we got to get to how Nathaniel even gets to Jesus. And that continues us on the theme that we've been seeing throughout this first chapter that we really focused on last week, that Jesus goes and he calls Philip to follow him. And Philip's immediate response to being called by Jesus to be one of his disciples is he goes and he finds somebody else. See, what John is revealing to us in this chapter is that here's how Christianity began. John the Baptist pointed out to a couple of his guys who Jesus was. They went and talked with Jesus. They saw that he was the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who came from God. And immediately, they all started going and finding other people and telling them to come and see Jesus. 
This is the fundamental way that Christianity has been passed down from the beginning until today through an endless, it seems, network of personal relationships where we go to someone we know and we invite them to come and see Jesus Christ. That's, that's clearly the natural thing that happens when someone meets Jesus, they want to tell other people they love to come and see Jesus for themselves. And so we see that pattern playing out again here. And look at the conversation that Philip has with Nathaniel to invite him to come and see Jesus. Go back to verse 45. It says that Philip found Nathaniel, and Nathaniel, we believe, is also referred to as Bartholomew uh, in the other Gospels. Philip and Bartholomew, their two names usually come together in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, Bar means son of, so Nathaniel would have been the, the son of Tholomew there, Bartholomew. Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Hey, we found the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. That's what he's saying right there. See, the Jews had this mindset of a Messiah, an anointed one who was coming. And really, the place that we first see Jesus the place that is really the foundation of us getting to know Jesus is the Old Testament. You know, if you're one of those people that thinks, well, the gospel's in the New Testament and the law's just in the Old Testament. No, actually, when people preach the gospel in the New Testament, they quote the Old Testament as the source and authority of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's saying, hey, everything Moses wrote, everything the prophets wrote, that's a way they would summarize the whole Old Testament, the law and the prophets. Hey, it's all reaching its culmination in this Messiah, and I know who he is now. I found him. It's Jesus of Nazareth. It's the son of Joseph. I found the guy. I mean, you couldn't make a more big claim, a more monumental statement about another person than what Philip says about Jesus to Nathaniel. And you can tell that Nathaniel right away is skeptical, okay? Look at what he says. Look at his question here in verse 46. It's a really good question. Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Like, wait, you're telling me that the whole Old Testament is leading us to this Messiah, this king that we're hoping is going to come? In fact, skip down to verse 49, because you see what Nathaniel thought the Messiah was when he says it to Jesus in verse 49. Rabbi or teacher, you're the son of God. That's a statement of deity. That's a statement, I mean, the son of would have been the same one with the father, the same essence of the father. You are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. So that's, an, that's what he would have thought the Messiah was. Nathaniel clearly has a high view of the Messiah, but he has a very low view of this town, Nazareth, here. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, I don't know what, you, it, what you've done. When you are trying to introduce other people to Jesus, and you're like, I found him. He's the guy. I can see it right there in the scripture. I can see what he's done in my life. I want to be one of those happy, annoying people who's always talking about Jesus and never shutting up, and it's not going away, and I'm still talking about it, right? Well, maybe you've reached uh, some skepticism in the response, some skepticism, some negative responses from people, some questions, some doubters, maybe even some haters have responded to you as you've tried to tell people about Jesus Christ. And how do you respond to that negativity? See, do you give up? When you meet a little resistance, do you overcome it with persistence? Or when you meet a little resistance in the name of Jesus, do you use that as an excuse to stop talking because people don't want to hear? Or maybe you take it the other way. 
Maybe when somebody says to you, well, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And they bring up one of the many obstacles to coming and seeing Jesus, one of the many distractions, maybe good things to talk about, but not the thing to talk about. Theological issues that we could debate, but not an introduction to the God, man, Jesus Christ. Maybe you go the other way and you start to debate with people. See, you could have debated him right here. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Because basically he's looking for a king. He's looking for a Lord to come and save the Jews from the Roman rule over them. He's looking for somebody that's going to establish this beautiful kingdom there in the nation of Israel. And that guy's certainly not coming out of Nazareth. I mean, Nathaniel, we find out, is from Cana, which was nearby to Nazareth, but clearly he thought much superior to Nazareth. And if you were looking for a king, if you were looking for the Son of God to become a man, you don't think he's coming from Nazareth, see? And so you could have responded there, and you could have debated with him about uh, all kinds of things, who the Messiah really was. Well, maybe you have an overblown view of the Messiah, Nathaniel. Maybe he's coming as a servant and not as a, a king. And what a great place for a servant to come from is Nazareth. Or you could have stuck up for the city of Nazareth and you could have said, hey, I kind of like people from that city. But no, Philip, I think in some real wisdom here, as a real example to us, he doesn't give up and he doesn't start an argument or a debate. He just says, come and see. The best way for somebody to meet Jesus is to have direct exposure to Jesus Christ, not to hear about him secondhand. And Philip understands this. So he doesn't even answer the question. You see that? He completely dodges the question and he just says, you got to come and you got to see it for yourself. He doesn't even engage with a response. The only response is, come and see Jesus Christ. I'm concerned that there's so many things that could distract me and you from passing on what we know and love about Jesus to other people. That either when we see questions, we're intimidated by questions and we back away from questions, or some of us think that we're so ready for questions, we tackle the questions and completely miss the point, which is that every person needs to know Jesus Christ. Let's get this down for point number one, just a simple principle to start with here. Don't get distracted from the gospel. That's point number one here. You can write that down. Don't get distracted from the gospel, okay? Philip, for a guy who just got called by Jesus to follow and is now immediately passing on an invitation to Nathaniel, he does a great job of not getting discouraged or not getting too aggressive. He just says, come and see. He keeps the focus on Jesus Christ. That's very important for every single person here that we should be introducing others to Jesus. That was the point of last week's sermon. If you heard that one, hopefully you've even been doing something about it this week, that I want to invite somebody to have direct first-hand exposure to Jesus Christ. So how does somebody get first-hand exposure to Jesus Christ these days? Because we can't just drag somebody to the, the bodily presence of Jesus. So how is someone going to come and see Jesus? Well, we tried to give you three ways last Sunday. One is if you share your story of how you met Jesus, like the testimonies we heard this morning, well, that gives them a glimpse maybe to Jesus Christ. But the best way for someone to see Jesus today is they're going to see him in the scriptures, the Jesus book. You search the scriptures because they testify, they bear witness about Jesus. We've got to bring people to the Bible which means we have to invite them to read the Bible with us, or maybe we have to get them to come here to a church service like this where we preach the Bible so they can hear it straight from God's Word to their ears. Everybody needs first-hand exposure to Jesus Christ, okay? 
So who are we bringing? Who are we saying come and see to? And I want to just ask you, how's your approach? Have people asked questions to you and you've been so hurt by their negative questions, by their skepticism, by, or you've been so kind of like intimidated by, I don't know if I know exactly what to say to this person, that you've stopped talking to people? That's not an acceptable response. Or maybe you've gone the other direction where you feel so equipped, you feel so ready to talk to somebody that they can bring on any subject and you'll talk to them about it and that's your problem is you'll talk about any subject and you're missing the point of talking about Jesus Christ. See, we need a group. We need a team. We need a small army of people here at this church that are ready at at a moment's notice. When the door opens, when there's just a little crack in the door to someone's soul and they're convicted about their sin and they're starting to get who Jesus is, see, who can talk to somebody right there in that moment? That's what we need here at this church. We need every single man and woman who is saved at this church to be able to help somebody else come and see Jesus Christ. Okay? So go to Mark chapter 1, and there's just a few foundational things that we want to talk to people about, and I want to make sure that every saved person at our church is equipped to have a salvation conversation with somebody else. And let me just clarify what I mean by that, okay? When we expose people to testimonies about Jesus, to the Word that is all about Jesus, to Uh, sermons that preach the name of Jesus Christ. People will get convicted of sin, people will begin to see Jesus, and they will inevitably have more questions. Follow-up will be required for people to get saved. So if you're grabbing a donut afterwards, and somebody you barely know, or you know super well, or maybe somebody you don't even know, they come up to you and they say, hey, what did you think about that sermon? And you say something about it. And then they say, well, I thought I needed to get saved after that sermon. Can you help me come to know Jesus Christ? Like, are you ready for that conversation? That's the question. How many people show up at this church every Sunday ready to have that conversation? That's how God can use this church to shine the light of Jesus Christ. So who's ready right now? During donuts and coffee, after this service, you're ready to lead someone to Jesus Christ. Maybe you take them out to lunch and you talk to them for a few hours. That would be the goal. Now here's how Jesus says it in Mark 1, 14 to 15. This is the content that, that we really want to focus on. This is what we want to talk about. There's a lot of things we could end up talking about. This is what we actually want to talk about. Mark 1, 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Here it is. Repent and believe in the gospel. Okay, so from the beginning of our church, we have said that that phrase right there at the end of this introduction to the ministry of Jesus, Jesus shows up, he starts preaching, and if you could summarize Jesus' preaching into three words, here they would be. Gospel, repentance, faith. Repent and believe in the gospel, okay? So let's put those down. If you're taking notes, if you're you're keeping track here, let's get those three down. Those are what we would call the three most important words here at this church. And I believe that you can help somebody come to a saving response to the good news of Jesus simply by communicating to them from the scripture those three most important words. If someone fully understands the gospel, or they at least have a beginning understanding. Maybe we're never going to fully understand it, but they know what it is. They can answer what the gospel is. 
And they begin to see the the turn from sin that takes place when you're born again. And they begin to see that the reason you change in, in your lifestyle is because you have this trust in Jesus Christ that His death now has paid for your sin and His resurrection now has given you eternal life. And it's all by faith, see. If you can explain to somebody those three words in a real meaningful scriptural way, I think you can help somebody get saved. Three words is what it takes. I mean, we summarize his message down to this. Now's the time. The kingdom is here. Here's what I want to say. Repent and believe in the gospel. So if you look at the back of your handout, you can see the sermons that we did that started this church where we went through those three words extensively. We actually did two different sermons on what the gospel is, the content of the gospel, both the information and the transformation that takes place. And then we did a sermon on repentance and a sermon on faith as we were going through 1 Thessalonians to start this church. So if you, ha- if you want more training, if you feel like, well, I don't know enough about those words to explain it to somebody else, well, maybe those sermons could really help you. But let me just give you some handholds, some verses that you could use at a moment's notice. If somebody wants to know what is the gospel of Jesus, let me give you a verse that you should maybe memorize or have ready at your fingertips. Like 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4 would be a great passage for everybody at our church to just know like that. You ask somebody, well, what's the gospel? Or somebody says, well, I don't know what I need to know to be saved. Well, you tell them right away, well, the gospel is the good news of Jesus. And here it is, that Jesus is the Christ. He's the one they've been waiting for in the Old Testament, the Messiah, the anointed one of God. And he's God who became man. And he died on the cross for your sin, and he rose again. That's it. We don't need to overcomplicate it. That's the gospel. And it says that's of first importance, that I want to take what I received, what was given to me, that I believe that I'm holding on to for my life is the gospel. And now I want to pass it on to you. And it says according to the scriptures, according to the Old Testament. And you could dive in deeper and you could know Old Testament passages about the death of Christ like Isaiah 53. Or you could know Old Testament passages about the resurrection like Psalm 1610. And these are just things every Christian should be able, yeah, let's talk about the gospel. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 15 right now like it's no big deal. Like of course we want to talk about the gospel. Repentance, let's throw down Acts 26.20. I mean there's so many verses about repentance. But we've already tried to make a big point here at this church that repentance is turning to God and proving by the new way that you live that your lifestyle, your pattern of sin is over. We're not claiming that you're going to have perfection moving forward, but we are claiming that your life is going to have a new direction moving forward. There'll be a real turnaround from this pattern of sin and now you're fighting against it and you're walking in a new way. And then faith, what is that? Well, it's the opposite of thinking you can save yourself by your own good works. That's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. I mean, I would love that every person at our church would at least be able to know these passages and throw them out in conversation at any given moment of the day. And someone gives you the impression that they're a good person and you say, good, well, compared to what? Compared to what? Because if you're good, we're, we're all better than the people on the Channel 4 News at 11. Can I get an amen from anybody on that? I mean, everybody's better. Can you believe what that person did? can't believe it. Right? But good compared to God is the question the Bible's asking. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. See, All of us have fallen short of perfection. No one has lived up to the standard that God requires by being who he is. And so we're not saved by our works. Our works are filthy rags. No, we're saved by what? What are we saved by here at this church? Grace and how sweet it is. 
that God would save us through what he's done in his son. And by faith, I receive that grace when I trust that Jesus paid for my sins and rose again. Not only should you know that, not only should you be saying amen to that in your own heart, that you know that information and you've seen that transformation in your life, but you should be able at just a moment's notice to throw down with somebody about that, to sit down with them. People should be getting baptized because you talk to them. That's what I'm saying. That's not a goal for just pastors. That's, that's not a goal for just, you know, small group leaders. That is a goal for every Christian man and woman that I could say to somebody, come and see. And when they ask me more questions, I could at least maybe not answer all their questions. I'm, I'm hoping this is helping people because I'm just giving you three verses. I'm kind of freeing you from feeling like you need to know all the verses, okay? You don't need to be a Bible scholar to help somebody get saved. You just need to know how to get saved. You just need to know some key verses, that can minister to someone in their time of need. And everyone on this planet needs to be saved. It is the greatest need of humanity right now is salvation from their sin and a new life in Jesus Christ. Now, I've learned something by doing this church for one year. I've learned, I've learned two things going now into year two that God keeps teaching me over and over. One is don't limit God. Don't limit what God can do. God's doing, he's got the power to do above anything that I can ask or think. He's doing stuff at this church weekly that is just blowing my mind. It's awesome to see what God is doing. Anybody else feel like that coming to this church? It's great. A few people, a few people are with me. Okay, it's great to see what God is doing. Here's the second thing I've learned. I have many limits. That's what I've learned about myself. Okay. I can only be in one place at one time. Really, I can only have a good conversation with one person at a time. And even to have that conversation will probably take many conversations. And those conversations will probably take a good amount of time to really get down to their soul and to know what's going on. I can, literally, I have a number in my head of how many people I can even really talk to in a week. I have limitations by space, by time. I, there's only so much that I can do. It's becoming more and more clear here at this church the more and more souls that we have to minister to. And so we're praying for another pastor. We're asking God to provide us another pastor, and I would encourage you to join me in that prayer. But, but a lot of the conversations I'm having, uh, yeah, it could help to have a pastor have those conversations, but you don't need a pastor to have those conversations. Any Christian man or woman could talk to somebody else about repentance and faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The pastor should not be the only person at the church leading people to Christ. You guys get what I'm saying here? If we, if we have this mentality in our day and age that when somebody's got something big going on in their life, uh, spiritually we can tell, you know, God's doing something there. And all of a sudden they're coming to church and all of a sudden they're, they're reading the Bible. We, the, the answer for all of those people can't be, well, they should talk to the professional, they should talk to the pastor. No, there needs to be a whole group of people who are all EMTs here at this church, okay? There needs to be a whole group of people who've gone to a CPR class, and they can help somebody who's in that moment of needing to get saved. Well, they can pump some verses into their chest, and they can start talking to them, and they can start breathing some truth. The Spirit can speak through anybody who's saved here in this church, and I'm concerned that sometimes I get this attitude like, oh no, my relative is going to die and they're in the hospital now. Pastor, will you come in and talk to them? I got to tell you right now, the hospital is the worst place in the history of the world to try to have a conversation with anybody. 
I mean, people are plugged into all kinds of tubes. We got all kinds of interruptions coming in. I mean, literally, they are sometimes in so much physical pain that you can tell they can't even focus on the words that are coming out of my mouth. It's a very difficult place to talk to somebody. And so you call me because your relative's in the hospital. Guess what? I will stop what I'm doing, and I'll go to the hospital. But my question to you is going to be, why weren't you talking to them before they ever got into the hospital? See? How many dinners, how many meals, how many open doors did you have that you blew, that you missed And now you're calling on somebody else to come and do it for you when this is your loved one and you haven't told them the gospel, repentance, and faith? If we're waiting too late, if we're waiting until someone is almost going to die physically before we begin to talk to them about life spiritually. See? If you love people, you will have this conversation with them. That is how it will work. You will care for their soul and you will talk to them long before they are ever in physical danger. You will address the spiritual danger they are already in because of their sin. And so I'm, I'm, I'm happy to help. I'm, ha- I'm here to serve, but I'm asking that every single person who calls this their church and considers themselves a Christian, that you will join our team of people ready to talk to somebody about three simple words, the gospel, repentance, and faith. And if everybody here can talk about how to be saved in Jesus Christ, we'll see a lot more people get saved at this church. So if you feel like, well, I just don't know how to do it, well, I want you to open your bulletin right now, a little announcement for you. We got this thing coming up called Equipped Evangelism. Okay, so we're going to start with a one-day, I don't know if you've ever gone to a CPR class. I've gone to a CPR class before. I wouldn't want to be in the position, though, of saving somebody's physical life. Maybe that's how, how you feel. You wouldn't want to be in the position of having to save, being a part of God saving someone's spiritual life. Well, then come to our class, Equipped Evangelism. You can see when it is. We're giving you a few weeks' notice. October 10th, we'll spend a couple of hours doing some training here at the church. Then we'll actually go out and we'll talk to people. And I know that some of you guys know how to have these conversations. You are equipped to have these conversations. Man, now is a great time to engage, to be praying every day for open doors to have these conversations. And if you don't know how to have one, man, please come to this. Uh, This is be the beginning of some great training for you. And I would love to start to impart to you more scripture that you can use to pass on to other people so that God will save them from their sins. Wouldn't that be awesome if God uses you as his mouthpiece and he speaks through you, God pleading through you to somebody else and he saves that person through the words coming out of your mouth, through the scripture that you have sought to memorize, that you know where to turn to in the Bible and now the spirit brings it to mind and he speaks it through you and you help there is nothing better in this life than perhaps than than seeing somebody get saved right in front of your eyes and having a front row seat to the work of Jesus Christ what a glorious thing it is to behold and so I pray that everybody here would have the joy of seeing somebody else get saved it is awesome and so I hope that's something that encourages you that every Nathaniel needs a Philip who can say to him come and see go back to John chapter 1 turn there with me please And now Philip comes, and what an interesting conversation that he has with Jesus Christ here. 
And, and, and it appears that Nathaniel is coming to meet Jesus, but as Nathaniel even gets to approach him, based on Philip's good testimony to bring him, not getting shut down, not overdoing it, but just bringing him to come and see Jesus, we find out that Jesus already knew Nathaniel before he even comes to meet him. And he says here, Behold, an Israelite indeed, and in whom there is no deceit, which is a, a, a reference clearly to Old Testament passages. And Nathaniel, look at his response. I mean, he goes from skepticism to awe here. Nathaniel said to him, How do you know me? What, you already know me? What's going on? And then we kind of drop the, the, the mind bomb here that blows up in, in Nathaniel's brain. Hey, before Philip even called you, hey, remember when you were under the fig tree? I saw you. Nathaniel's brain explodes. Do you read that part? That, that's what happens next right there. See? Like, wait, you already knew me? before? I, here I am coming to even meet you, and you already know me? One of the main themes we're going to see throughout the Gospel of John, and you can see this in any Gospel, is the intimate knowledge that Jesus already has with people before he's ever even talked to them. That here, we see that he already knows Nathaniel. He already can say statements about what kind of Israelite he is. He can already say where he was under the fig tree. He already knows Nathaniel long before they actually have a conversation. We saw this last week where, where Simon shows up. And he's able to look at Simon and he's able to say, no, I got a better name for you because I know what the kind of guy you are and I even know who you're going to be as you become my disciple. And so I'm changing your name from Simon and I'm calling you Peter. We see that Jesus knows us before we even become aware of who Jesus is. He's already knowing us and seeming ready for us to come to him. It's this amazing thing. That shows us the deity of Jesus Christ, that he would know the thoughts and intents of a man before he would ever meet the man. It goes back to Psalm 139, and it talks about how everybody here is intimately known by the God who created you. He knows everything there is to know about you. In fact, jump with me up to chapter 4. Look at John chapter 4. Start with me in verse 29. We're going to get to this. This amazing conversation that Jesus has we're going to see some examples of salvation conversations that Jesus has. One with a religious man, Nicodemus, in John 3. And then with this woman who would not have been considered religious. She would have been considered a sinner, maybe even a social outcast in John 4. And Jesus has this great multi-layered conversation with this woman. And what impresses the woman so much about Jesus Christ, what she comes away talking about now the Messiah that she gets introduced to is what she says here in verse 29 as she runs to tell everybody else. That's what people do when they meet Jesus is they run and tell other people. And she says in verse 29, come, see. She sticks with the theme, come and see. But look what she puts on it. Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? I mean, she, what impressed her is that Jesus knew uh, she had had many husbands and the man she was with now was not her husband. And it's so impressive to the woman that in verse 25 she says, well, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. I know the Old Testament says we're waiting for the one from God. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And she realizes he's the Messiah. And what's the overwhelming piece of information that she gets about Jesus is that he already knows her. That's what impresses her so much. 
He already can tell me everything about me. He already knows my sin and he seems to still want to welcome me into relationship with him. It's mind-blowing to this woman. Because so many people in this town had probably looked at her sin and had wanting nothing to do with her. And here's Jesus Christ who knows her sin and yet he's going out of his way to talk to her. And it's amazing to be known in an intimate way that at first might be startling. As I describe Jesus knowing everything about you, those here who might think they have secrets of sin that they're trying to hide in the darkness, that might not be a very encouraging thought. To know that we are 100% intimately known, that there are no secrets between us and God who sees not as we see on the outside, but he sees straight to the heart. In fact, Hebrews chapter 4 says that he sees us like we're naked and like we're exposed, like there's nothing that we could possibly even do to hide ourselves from the intimate knowledge of God. And in fact, the word sometimes comes into our hearts and it convicts our hearts and it shows us of our sin that he already knew about us beforehand. And see, that can be scary at first when you realize that God knows what you've done and you are not going to get away with it. There is nowhere you can run. There is nowhere you can hide. He knows all. And then it becomes, after it's a sobering, maybe scary realization, it becomes the most welcoming and comforting invitation to a relationship that he knows me. Like he really knows me. All of my hypocrisy, all of my masks, he sees through them and yet he loves me. And he's inviting me to know him. And that's the beginning of your love for Jesus Christ right there when he will know you and love you the same. That's what happens with this woman. And she goes and she tells everybody, look at verse 39. It says that many Samaritans from that town, outside of the town they had the conversation, she goes and tells them, well, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And here's what they remembered about it. Here's what intrigued them. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. As they got direct exposure to Jesus, they believed. And they said to the woman, it's no longer just because of what you said that we believe. Now we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. I know that he knows me and I want to know him. Point number two, let's put it down like this. You need to know that you're already known. You need to know you are already known by Jesus Christ. He has been there. He has seen it. He has experienced it all with you. And yet today it is an invitation to be in relationship with him and and to know him intimately. No matter who you were or what you've done in the past, he knows, yet he invites you into an eternal life to share with him and fellowship with him forever. What glorious good news. How, How awesome it is to know that Jesus, when he paid for the sins of the world, he knew my sins specifically, and he paid for them. Like it's personal, it's intentional that Jesus would know me. We're going to see that over and over again. That people are impressed with the fact that Jesus already knows them. How do you know me, Nathaniel says. But he does. See, do you know that you are known by Jesus Christ? Do you know that Jesus said to every one of his people, 
as he sends us out to make disciples, as he sends us into all nations, he just says, and hey, lo, behold, I am with you, what does he say? Always, to the end of the age, all the way down there in 2015, when it feels like your country has fallen apart and you're going through all these difficult things and you're not sure what's going to happen, hey, I just want you to know that I know you and I am there with you. It's one of the main themes of Jesus Christ, that he will never leave you, that he will never forsake you. That's a promise from the scripture, that there are things that Jesus knows about you that no one else knows about you. The kids are going back to school right now. We've had a first day of school recently. We've had back to school night this week for us at the Blakey house. And, uh, you know, I don't know how it's going for your kids going back to school, but I know for me, uh, the first day of school was always difficult because the teacher was going to read everybody's names and go through everybody's names, and my last name was Blakey, so I was perhaps sometimes the first kid to get called on, and I would get extremely nervous. Like, I might seem like I'm a guy who doesn't mind being in public here this morning, but that's not how I started out. I was the kind of guy who got extremely nervous in social situations. So the first day of school for me, see, I got named Robert, but everybody called me Bobby, see, I don't know if anybody else has a name like that. Anybody else got a formal name and then the real name that people call you, right? Thanks, Mom and Dad, for that one. You know what I mean? And you spend the rest of your life having to say, yeah, I know it says Robert, but my name's Bobby. Like, how many times have I just been, like, shrinking into my seat? Yeah, I know it says Robert, but can everybody call me Bobby? I know you put Robert on here and here and here and here and all over the bulletin boards here in this room, but can we change them all to Bobby, please? Please? I'll shut up now. You know, that's how it felt. Just felt, just felt terrible. Like, like, I'm not known by anyone here. Like, I, I have to tell them, hey, that's not actually me. I'm this, I'm this other guy. See? What is it going to be great? It's going to be so awesome when you meet Jesus Christ and he already knows you. In fact, it says in Revelation 2.17 that when you meet Jesus Christ and you meet him face to face, to everyone who overcomes, to everyone who's one of his people, he's going to give you a stone with a new name on it that only you and him will know. He's going to give you a name better than the name you've got right now to describe you. This experience of Peter, this experience of Nathaniel, this woman at the well, I'm already known by him. You and I will have that same experience someday when we meet Jesus Christ. He will know us better than anyone else ever has, and yet he will love us because of who he died to make us in him. See, it's an amazing thing. And it blows Nathaniel away. Now go back to John chapter 1 and you'll see here that you got to know the Old Testament to get the fullness of the conversation that is taking place between Jesus and Nathaniel. Okay, because in verse 47, Jesus greets him with, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Okay? So here's a guy, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Here's a guy who's got high standards of what, it, what he's looking for in a Messiah and what it means to be a Jewish person, an Israelite, all right? And to, to know even what an Israelite is, you have to go back to the beginning of the Jewish people where you have father, who's the father of the Jews? Shout it out. Abraham, and he's got a son named... Isaac, I don't know if everybody here knows this, but if you go through Genesis, it's clearly laying down the lineage that there was Abraham who had Isaac, and then Isaac, he had two sons. Esau was the older one, and then there was this guy named Jacob, see? And Jacob gets renamed Israel, which is very important. 
And then Jacob has 12 different sons, which become the 12 tribes of Israel. And everybody would have known their tribe. Every Israelite, every Jew, they would have known where they came from. Because that was a very big deal. How you traced back up into Abraham, which of the 12 sons you came from. And kind of a pivotal character there in this lineage is Jacob, who actually gets the name Israel. And before he got the name Israel, what he was known for as Jacob was the fact that he tricked his brother out of the birthright. Because Esau was actually the older brother who should have been the line passed down through, who should have inherited all things from his father Isaac. But Jacob was deceptive. And he tricked his brother. And he tricked his father. And he got the birthright by being a liar. And this kind of deception was a problem for the people of Israel all the way through that they would claim to love God, but they would be deceptive in that they didn't really love God and they worshipped idols and they went to sexual immorality. A whole lot of hypocrisy in the nation of Israel. So when Jesus says that you're the Israelite and in whom there is no deceit, see that's a loaded statement for any Jewish person. Because you're saying you're from the good side. You're from when Jacob got renamed Israel. See, you're one of the true people. You're not one of the hypocrites, one of the fakes. See, And so that's what Jesus says to Nathaniel. And it's loaded with meaning. And then he says, I saw you under the fig tree, which kind of works on, on two different levels. One, it blows the mind of Nathaniel in that he was literally sitting under a fig tree. And Jesus somehow could see him when he was there under a fig tree. When Jesus was not around, it's miraculous in that it must be God who knows all things and sees all things like that. And so it blows his mind. But also... See, the way John writes it here, anybody who would have read this, see, the fig tree has a lot of significance to the Israelite, the true Israelite, somebody like Nathaniel who's got opinions about where the Messiah is going to come from. See, the fig tree is this idea loaded with significance. In fact, write down if you're taking notes, fig tree. Let's start giving you some thoughts about the fig tree, like 1 Kings 4.25. We're not going to turn there, but you could just write that down. 1 Kings 4.25, when it wants to describe a great time for the nation of Israel, It says that that for Israel, they lived in safety, every man under his vine and under his fig tree all the days of Solomon. So here's like a statement. When things are going well for Israel, it's like everybody's got their own vine they can go to. Everybody's got their own fig tree they can sit under. And it's time of peace and prosperity and safety in the land. So that's the idea. Like the Jewish man sitting under his vine, sitting under his fig tree, that means God has blessed his people. That's an image they all would have related to. Okay? Go, to go to Micah chapter 4. This is on page 778. If you got one of our Bibles, we're going into the Old Testament now, into the Minor Prophets. And this is something I love about the Gospel of John is we're going to spend a lot of time, page 778, we're going to spend a lot of time going back to the Old Testament because we're going to see that's actually where the promise of the Messiah comes from. Okay, And so they would have known about, there's not only this idea that everybody would have their own fig tree, it's kind of like here in Huntington Beach, everybody having their own fire pit. You know what I'm saying? Everybody having their own lazy boy chair. Like when we're living the American dream, and we've got our own place and our own family, and then we're living in peace and freedom. You know, on, on Friday night, we get the neighbors around, we get the kids around, we go out in the backyard, and we, we throw out a fire pit, and we sit back and we think at the end of a week, maybe, how great things are, and we feel blessed and we feel secure. That's the idea of the fig tree, okay? 
Now look at Micah chapter 4, and now here's a prophecy about the future for the nation of Israel, a prophecy that we would say still hasn't fully come to pass. But it's talking about how there's going to be a time of blessing and, and Jesus as king is going to reign. And look at verse 4, Micah 4, 4. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his, what does it say there? Fig tree. Here's a key phrase right here. And no one shall make them afraid. See, a place of just complete safety, blessing. They feel 100% confident. For the mouth of the Lord has, of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk each in the name of its God. But we, Israel, God's people, we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. See, when I walk with God, when I, when I, am not, when I have a relationship with Him, and I experience His presence, and I know that He is with me, and that encourages me, I have no reason to be afraid, it's saying here. And the picture of this, like, Practicing the presence of God and blessing and safety is, well, look at that guy. He's under his fig tree. Now go over a few pages to the right to Zephaniah chapter 3. Turn there with me. This is page 790, just a few pages over here to Zephaniah chapter 3. And it's going to take this idea now that no one should be afraid. No one would need afraid. I don't need to be afraid. Why? Because God is, is with us. See, the people in the Bible, they didn't see uh, the all-knowingness of Jesus as an invasion of their privacy. They saw that Jesus knew everything about them as an invitation to relationship. That's what they saw. They saw it as a good thing because that meant they were in the presence of God and he was with them. And if God was with them, well, then who should we fear? Look at Zephaniah chapter 3. Start with me here in verse 12, right there at the top of the uh, second column there in 790, if you got one of our Bibles. But I will leave... I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. And these people, they shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. Those who are left in Israel. They shall do no injustice. They shall speak no lies. See, we're talking about a good time for Israel now where they're not practicing deceit. Nor shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue. No, they shall graze. They shall lie down. And none shall make them afraid. This is where every Israelite wants to be. They want to be in this place where God is with them and they are not afraid. So sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart. Be glad and take great joy, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He's cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, He's in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. See, what great encouragement there is for not only the Jewish people, but for us when we know that we know God and we have a relationship with Him, that He's with us, see. There's a real sense of this that His people have, and they are not afraid of anything because they have this mighty God who is with them, a God mighty to save. And then it talks about singing in heaven and rejoicing in heaven. See, this is the way that you can not only be known by Jesus, but here's something that every person here, this is an offer to you, that all of us could know Jesus is with us in such a way that no matter what is going on, we would not be afraid. See, there's a little bit of that going on here in this conversation with Nathaniel. Hey, we're going to talk about the true Israel. 
Hey, I, you think it was a big deal that I saw you under the fig tree? No, I'm going to give you the full definition of what it means to sit under the fig tree. Go back to John chapter 1 and look at this amazing promise. Oh, you th- you're impressed that I already know you, Nathaniel? Well, no. You will see greater things than these. There's a promise from Jesus Christ to Nathaniel. You think that's a big deal? Oh, we're just scratching the surface, Nathaniel. Just get ready for some great things that you're going to see. And I think he's talking about the rest of the Gospel of John that we're going to go through and all the signs of his glory that he is going to perform uh, throughout the entire Gospel that Nathaniel's going to have a front row seat to. But I think he's saying, Nathaniel, you're coming to me and you're looking for a physical salvation for Israel. You want the Messiah to come and deliver the people and establish an earthly kingdom. The greater things that I'm going to show you, Nathaniel, is I'm going to show you the spiritual realm. That's what he's saying, I think. I'm going to show you something beyond anything that you could see around here in the nation of Israel. Look what he says. This is the first time we get to one of these statements in the Gospel of John. Jesus is well known for this. Truly, truly, I say to you. Okay? Anytime that we come across, and we're going to get to go through you know, a bunch of these through the Gospel of John. Anytime we get to one of these statements, it's time to get excited, my friends. Okay? He's, what he's saying is, I'm about to tell you something that is so good, you will not believe that it is true. So I start the phrase with, truly, truly, I say to you, because I want you to know that what I'm about to say is, amen, verily, let it be so, it's the real thing, but you might not believe me, but I'm telling you, truly, truly, listen to what I'm saying. That's how he introduces it, okay? And here's what he wants Nathaniel to see. Here's what he wants to open his eyes. Here's the greater things. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open, Nathaniel. And the angels of God, you will see ascending and descending on the Son of Man. I am going to open your eyes, not just to what you might want to see me do in your nation, Nathaniel, but I'm going to open you to seeing greater things than these. Okay? Now, this is a clear, explicit quotation of an Old Testament passage about Jacob who gets renamed Israel. So turn with me to Genesis 28. we got to go and see this to see what Jesus is really referring to here. In Genesis 28, there's, you'll see the similarities that Jesus must be referring to. This is on page 22 of our Bible here. That Jacob has a dream. Okay, So this is the one who's going to be named Israel. The one who's going to have 12 sons that will become the 12 tribes who's already been referenced previously in our conversation with Jesus, between Jesus and Nathaniel. And now he quotes Jacob's dream. Read it with me. Genesis 28, verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and he went toward Haran and he came to a certain place and he stayed there that night because the sun had set. And taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head, and he laid down in that place to sleep, and he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder, or you could translate it a a stairway. There was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of the ladder reached to heaven. And behold, here's the clear reference, the angels of God were ascending and descending on this ladder. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord. The God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, 
The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring, the nation of Israel, shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread about to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, here's the point, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid. See, that's sometimes your reaction when you realize that God knows everything about you. Your first reaction might be fear that he's with you, that he's there. And he said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. He sees in a dream a ladder that goes up into heaven, into the place of the age to come, into the spiritual realm, and there's angels bringing their messages to and from God. And he sees that ladder, and now Jesus shows up thousands of years later and says to Nathaniel, you will see angels going up and down on me, Jesus says. Jesus says, I am the ladder that leads people into heaven. That's what he's saying. I am come to mediate between God and man. I will bring you not just national victory and freedom, but I will bring you into a new life, into a new realm where you will know God, Jesus says. Point number three, we need to look up to the ladder. We need to see what Jesus is saying here. That he is saying that he is offering, not only to Nathaniel, but to all people, the entrance into the presence of God. And many angels go out delivering the good news of that message. And many come back and they rejoice in heaven over one sinner who repents. And all of that good news going out and the good news coming in and the salvation that's taking place. Jesus is saying, hey, you thought it was going to go through Israel? Hey, let me open your eyes. Let me widen your view. It's going to go through me and it's going to be extended, Nathaniel, to all people. That's the, that's the meaning to what he's getting to. Saying, hey, you think it's a big deal to be an Israelite, Nathaniel? You think it's a big deal to be sitting under your fig tree? I want to open you to see greater things. I want to I help you get what's really going on in a whole new realm that maybe you're not thinking about right now, the spiritual realm of eternal life, the life of the age to come. See, what dream do you want? The question that you have to ask yourself here this morning is which dream is going to satisfy you? Do you want the American dream or do you want Jacob's dream? See, Because in the American dream, everybody gets their own fig tree. Everybody gets their own house and their own car and their own family and their own kids and these are the things that we worship in America. See, these are the things that mean we have peace and safety and we have our own life. And, And don't get me wrong, these are great blessings from God when he blesses us with these things. I was sitting under my fig tree. I don't really have a fig tree. I'm talking about my lazy boy chair is what I'm talking about. Sitting there yesterday. And the angels are winning a double header and they're showing all the haters that they're still in it. Uh, that's for you angels fans who give it up out there. And uh, my son's saying, Dad, let's go play baseball in the backyard. My little princess is there. Dad, can we watch this Cinderella movie that's come out? My son gets a haircut and a bath. He's three years old. He comes and runs, and he's got that kid out of the bath smell. You guys know what I'm talking about? Just the greatest smell. You're just like, yes, you know, (laughs) yes, sit here, kid. Don't go anywhere, right? I mean, you sit under your fig tree, and you say, praise the Lord. Look at these good gifts that he's given me. Look at how God's blessed me, how I can sit here. Praise the Lord, but I hope you don't live for that, man. 
I hope that's not the point of your life. Because if the point of your life is the American dream, then you have missed the point that Jesus wants you to see. Greater things than what America can give you. He wants you to see the spiritual realm. He wants you to know that He is always with you. And that that would be even greater to you in your heart than your family being around you. Would be the knowledge that He is with you. See, That God is in this place. It might freak you out at first, the first time you realize that God is always there and you might be convicted about your sin, but trust me, it will become to you a ladder leading you into the very presence of God. And you will begin to know him now by faith and someday you will see him by sight. You will literally go up the rungs of that ladder. You will walk up the steps of that stairway and you will enter into the glory of God through your Savior, Jesus Christ. And no one can take that away from you because he already knows you by name now. That's what we have to say to people. That's the good news. How could we not pass this on? How could we not tell the world, hey, there's no other Savior but the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's make sure we're not settling for the good things, but that we're asking God to show us the greater things, the things that belong in the spiritual realm. Please pray with me. God, we thank you so much for this conversation, both the conversation that Philip has with Nathaniel. What a great example he is to us of someone who just says, come and see Jesus, and he brings Nathaniel along. And then, God, what a mind-blowing conversation it is between Jesus and Nathaniel. Not only that Jesus already knew him when he was under the fig tree, but all of the Old Testament references that that Jesus is referring to, that Nathanael was understanding, that he would ultimately say that he would be Nathanael's way straight into your presence, God. That he would show him eternity, the life of the age to come, and he would give it to him now by faith. That not only did he know Nathaniel, but they would know each other for all of eternity. That he would know Nathaniel better than anyone else, and he would never leave him, that he would never forsake him, that he would always be with him. And, that, and how much encouragement that must have brought to Nathaniel throughout the rest of his life. To know that he never walked alone because he was known by Jesus Christ. God, I pray for everyone here that we would know this relationship, that we would know that Jesus knows us, that we would be looking to him as our way of salvation, that we would be looking to Jesus to show us greater things than the things this life can give us, and that we would want those things more than this life. We would want the life of the age to come, eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. We pray this in his name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Please stand.